Dueling Genre Productions presents. Oh my god, do you see that? When a freak accident strikes McKinney City, ordinary citizens are given amazing abilities. I can move things with my mind. Oh my god, I'm flying. I can fly. I can teleport and I can fly. Super senses. What, like Daredevil? We are just playing fast and loose with this whole science thing today, aren't we? Now, there are villains. Billy, when you have an arch nemesis, do you just kill them immediately? No. You tie the ropes just loose enough so that they can keep escaping. That way, when you finally do win the day, you can sleep well knowing that you rose to the challenge. Your brain works differently than other people's, doesn't it? And heroes. Leah Markowitz, Gwendolyn Allen, Jeffrey Gibson, Mindy Gibson, Simon Holt, Splendid, you're all here. I'm going to make you all into superheroes. Screw it. Let's go save the day. The Powerful. After I drain everyone here, McKinney City will be mine. I'm going to show this whole city what real passion truly is. And the underdogs. You're all imagining me as a singing, dancing chipmunk right now, aren't you? The people in that store need help, and we can help them in a way no one else can. We have great power, which means they're our responsibility. I mean, Jesus, what's the point of having five freaking Spider-Man movies if we can't even learn to do that? Geek by Night, an original podcast series about five friends running a comic book store with superpowers. You're really going to keep running a comic book shop while trying to be superheroes? It might not always be easy, but I think the world could use a few more underdogs. Available at DuelingGenre.com and podcast apps everywhere. Dueling Genre everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joseph Drowski, and this week I'm joined by Brandon Ushio to talk about Hero and the Gang from Big Hero 6. Welcome back, Brandon. Thanks for having me again. Oh, we love having you on as guest. It just elevates the quality of our audio when we can get your rich baritone <laughs> rumbling. <laughs> so, I've got Big a face for radio. <laughs> And and Joseph, I'll jump in some on this one. Oh yes, producer Andrew, uh, this is one of your you you enjoy this movie quite a bit, right? So mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming in. Well, Big Hero Six was a 2014 computer animated film released by Disney. It was written by Jordan Roberts, Dan Gerson, and Robert L. Baird, and directed by Don Hall and Chris Williams. It tells the story of a young genius named Hero who recruits a team of science-based superheroes to fight a supervillain. And Ryan Potter is the voice of Hero. Scott Adsit was the voice of the robot Baymax. T.J. Miller voices Fred. Jamie Chung voices Gogo. Damon Wayans, or Wayans, I believe is how it's pronounced. Damon Wayans voices Wasabi. Genesis Rodriguez voices Honey Lemon. James Cromwell voices Professor Callahan. And Alan Tudyk voices Alistair. Was it was his last name? It said Cree. I'm trying to remember. Cray. It yesterday. Cray. It's Cray. Alistair Cray. Couldn't remember that pronunciation right there at the end. Uh, it's a good voice cast, uh, minus T.J. Miller, who is now one of the creepy men of Hollywood who is struggling to get work because of the Me Too movement. Um, <laughs> I was impressed with it. I was like, oh, it was James Cromwell. Good old farmer from Babe, voicing Professor. That'll Callahan. do, pig. That'll do. And Alan Tudyk is always a delight when he shows up. Uh, so how do you guys remember first discovering Big Hero 6? Um, I have a child and he was, 
he he was of that age that it was like I can go to every single Disney movie and not feel weird now. And so we took my kid to go see Big Hero Six in the theaters, and we that's kind of our thing. My dad and myself, and now my boys and my daughter is we go see movies. My wife doesn't love movies, but we pretty much anything that's come out in the past probably twelve years or so I've seen in the theaters. Uh, that's that's of of worth of watching. Right. Uh, what about you, Andrew? I just remember it coming out and going to see it. I'm, I don't remember a lot of details around it. <laughs> well, this um, like Disney at this point has tried to lock down the Thanksgiving weekend with an animated film. So this year they had Ralph Breaks the Internet. I think Record Ralph was a previous Thanksgiving one. This was their Thanksgiving offering the year after Frozen, which really set the mm-hmm. tone that, oh, we will own this weekend. <laughs> we will be putting out <laughs> something. Moana was another Thanksgiving uh, release, I believe. Um, so, that, so you're you know, saying they, they, they were not going to let it go. Yes. Yes. They wanted to stake a claim, uh, particularly after the success of Frozen. And so this, I, I mean, at the same time that Frozen said, oh, this could be a really good weekend for Disney to do this. If Big Hero 6 had flopped, they might have start, you know, started to look elsewhere. But Big Hero 6 did not flop with critics or at the box office did fine for them. And so they've continued that tradition. And my daughter Zootopia probably was in that track too. Yeah. I think it was also a Thanksgiving uh, Disney release. Um, My daughter, I remember taking her to frozen and then the next Thanksgiving, this was the one coming out and uh, I took her to see it. She did not like it quite as much as she enjoyed frozen at the time, but she, I think actually likes this one better than frozen. Now, now she says frozen is annoying though. I (laughs) promise you that will change when the marketing for frozen two kicks up for next year, where she'll suddenly be like, Oh, frozen. I remember liking that. Can we go see that one in the movie theater, daddy? (laughs) We, we just had our first snow recently here and we made a snowman as a family and my four-year-old daughter after finish finishing it gave it a big hug and said hi my name's olaf and i like warm hugs <laughs> okay yeah. this i did not anticipate telling this story uh but that olaf line made for me one of my funniest memories because one halloween as a professor at a college university Many students do dress up, not all of them, not the majority of them, but some do. One student was dressed as Olaf uh, a little bit after Frozen had come out. <laughs> and, and before class, he's in there dressed as Olaf. This girl comes in. She's like, oh, hey, Olaf, that's a great costume. And he goes, do you want a warm hug? And she goes, no. <laughs> in the <laughs> most serious voice I've ever heard, just an instant, <laughs> you will not be hugging <laughs> All right, but but we're not talking about Frozen. I'm sure we will sometime on this podcast. Today, we're talking about Big Hero 6 um, and some trivia about this film. This is, I, I really want to emphasize the word loosely. This is really, really loosely based off of a Marvel Comics <laughs> miniseries that was titled Big Hero 6. And by loosely, I mean, they borrowed the name of the series, Big Hero 6, the names of some of the characters. So there was a kid genius named Hero, and there were characters named Honey Lemon and Go-Go in that comic book. But that's about it. <laughs> that is where the similarity similarities end. There's there's some vague character traits. Like Honey Lemon in the comic book did have a purse that she would reach into and grab weapons out of. But Gogo yeah. I think in the comic book had fire based powers, if I'm remembering right. It's, it's, it's I'm not sure. Loose. It was more an inspired by than an adaptation yeah. of the uh, Big Hero Six. 
Um, the film had an 89% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and it earned $222 million in the U.S. box office and $657 million at the global box office. And I realized just how dominant Disney has become that when I saw that 222, I was like, mm, that's not their best. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> well over $200 million, like safely past $200 million. And it's kind of like, that's all right. <laughs> like that should, should instantly be like, oh, that's a hit movie. But then they were, you know, heading towards a billion dollars at the global box office. So at that point, you kind of have to say, that's a hit. Uh, Big Hero 6 won the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. And IDW, which is a comic book publisher, they announced that they were going to be doing an ongoing comic book based on the film. But it was supposed to launch in July of this year. We're recording this and releasing it in, well, recording it in 2018, releasing it in 2019. It was supposed to come out in July. Has not come out yet. It's just been kind of quietly pushed back indefinitely which seems odd to me that idw would be publishing this since it was originally a marvel property and disney owns marvel but yeah but idw does almost exclusively licensed properties for the comic book publications and so i think it was uh an instance where they asked to license it marvel wasn't actively doing anything with it and so it's a new revenue stream for disney and disney kind of said all right i'm sure they went through marvel and said anyone here going to do anything with big hero six and marvel's like no not not what we're doing so they're only going to turn down the money it is disney after all uh they know oh that's how to only that's only a million dollars come back to me when it's a 10 million dollar deal disney disney if, if you don't know this they know how to monetize their intellectual properties <laughs> gonna put that one out there it's a skill they have mastered as a corporation um there was talk of a sequel film after this one came out like right after but all the quotes i could find about it were several years old and i've not i couldn't find anything more recent um however disney xd the cable channel does air an animated tv series that um from what i read looks like it's set immediately after the film i have not seen any of that movie or that tv series but brandon you were saying you have yeah, I've, I've I've watched a bunch of the episodes, and it does it picks up right after essentially with Fred trying to get the gang back together because we've got to be Big Hero Six and be a superhero team, and I mean it's it's more hijinks and Sue as you would expect. Uh, they get to focus in a little bit more on each of the individual characters and their personalities, and uh, and have some fun problem solving and and uh, how the school plays into things a lot of times. Uh, you get to see Yama show up again. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good cartoon. It's not 3D animated, which at first I was like, I don't know that I'm going to, I'm going to like this as much, but it feels the, the, the feeling of the show is pretty much spot on. So yeah, I, I definitely give it a, definitely give it a thumbs up to go watch that. If you enjoy big hero six. And um, all of the voice cast from the movie do return except for Damon Wayans, who I think he had a Fox TV show when this one was premiering. So he was probably too busy. And T.J. Miller, who has become too controversial, he, he's not back as Fred. Um, but otherwise, all the main voice cast returned. And the last bit of trivia, uh, if you stick around after the credits, there is a Stanley cameo because this was loosely associated with Marvel. And so, of course, there will be a Stanley cameo. I actually saw... Um, I think it was the director said that if I remember right, guardians of the galaxy was the Marvel film that came out um, shortly before this. And they watched and they saw that everyone in the, in the theater stayed like when they were there to see guardians of the galaxy, because they were expecting a Marvel post-credits screen. And he kind of panicked and said, are things as Marvel at the beginning of the film? 
like Marvel in the red letters, the logo. <laughs> they're going to be expecting something in the post credits, and so they they made a post credit scene and had you know Stanley was up for doing a voice cameo. You'll be shocked to hear. Uh, <laughs> he makes cameos really... in the in the cartoon as well. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that there, there's a pretty serious plot point episode uh, or episode plot point with him being the a cameo, and he basically skypes in and talks to the team. Okay. All right. Well, before we move on to the full synopsis, uh, listeners, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to to support the show financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonists and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon receive access to our special quick casts. And any patron who supports us at $5 per month or more gets to choose a topic for us to discuss on this show. So now... Uh, here comes the full synopsis of Big Hero 6. And I do have to note that I think they do some pretty good action animation in the fight scenes. It does not translate into the synopsis very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we see the streets of San Francisco, which we should note, this is in some other world and universe where... There's a San Francisco, and it never gets explained. It just kind of is, and it's a vaguely futuristic world. Um, it kind of felt a little like Blade Runner, but family-friendly uh, world <laughs> was was what San Francisco felt like to me. Um, and we meet Hiro Hamada, who is a precociously smart 14-year-old. He builds small battle robots that he takes to bot fights, um, where he hustles the grown-ups by looking sad and he has a sad little robot and they're willing to let him fight but he's got to put his money up and he, he loses and then they all put more money up and then he wins and he's very good at this uh, but sometimes the grown-ups take offense at having been hustled and his older brother Tadashi saves him from getting beat up but Hiro plans to go right back out and do it again and Tada Tadashi offers to give him a ride saying I can't stop you but I can at least keep you safe but instead of taking him to a robot fighting ring he takes him to uh, the school, uh, the, the college that he that Tadashi attends, where he has been building a robotic medical assistant named Baymax. And Hiro always has made fun of his brother's nerd school, but once he sees the lab and what people are building and what they're doing, he desperately wants to go. Like his whole purpose in life shifts just by this little exposure to this other world that he had never seen before. And we also meet Tadashi's lab mates who all have nicknames, including Wasabi and... <laughs> The, the origin of Wasabi's nickname was one of my favorite like background <laughs> jokes where uh, Tadashi is like introducing everyone and he says he's called Wasabi. Fred gives everyone nicknames and Wasabi's in the background. And he just yells out, I spilled Wasabi on my shirt one time. <laughs> and uh, Wasabi does science with lasers and we meet Gogo who experiments with electromagnets and we meet Honey Lemon who is a chemistry whiz. And then there's Fred, the school mascot. Uh, but he also likes to watch science, even though he himself does not do science. And Tadashi tells Hiro that there is a student exhibition soon, and Professor Callahan always gives the student he is most impressed with a scholarship to the school. So now Hiro, instead of building robots to fight, he wants to build something for this upcoming science exhibit. And with this new focus, and with some help from Tadashi and uh, those lab mates, Hiro plans uh, his uh, exhibit, which will require thousands of microbots. And at the exhibit, he shows he, how he can use a neurotransmitter to control all of these tiny robots to do whatever he wants. And visually, um, you can think of a blend of Sandman from the Spider-Man comics and Green Lantern. 
like it's it's there's clearly like you see the motion of all of these little robots but they're moving and flowing and ebbing like water or like a liquid and it's just his imagination they they crawl on top of each other and they can magnetically build go as tall as he wants and make the shape of any structure and it is a really cool bit of animation what they do with his microbots i was very impressed with it um at the fair there's a businessman named alistair cray that's what how we decided this is pronounced right yes okay thank you brad <laughs> at the fair there's a businessman named alistair cray who tries to buy hero's microbots but after professor callahan warns hero about going into business with cray hero refuses to sell his invention and instead accepts a scholarship to the school and Hero's family and friends are leaving to go celebrate, but a fire breaks out at the fair. And when they turn around, they realize that Callahan is still inside and Hero's older brother, Tadashi, runs inside to try and save his professor. But there's an explosion and Tadashi and Callahan both die. Hero goes into a period of depression and mourning and he just doesn't want to do anything. His uh, aunt, we're told that his parents died when he was three and his aunt is trying to raise him and tries to get him to go back to the school, but he just stays in his room by himself. And then Baymax, that robot assistant that Tadashi was working on, accidentally gets activated, and he wants to help Hiro feel better. And I think we should address Baymax real quick, because I'm just going to call him Baymax. If you have not seen the movie, Baymax is like the safe puffed Marshmallow Man and <laughs> speaks in a very calm, soothing voice, and everything he says is funny, and everything he does is funny. <laughs> like he just He moves very deliberately and carefully, and all he wants to do is help people. Um, and it is one of the best creations in Big Hero 6 is the robot Baymax. It, did that uh, description do justice, guys? I, I, I think it's fair. I, I think it definitely describes who. I mean, how do you really describe something like Baymax? There's a lot of nuances to this cartoon. I mean, that's all there is to it. So I, yes. I, th I think it'll be if, for if the you haven't seen the podcast. cartoon. I'd recommend going and watching the cartoon and just enjoying Baymax as a character in this world. Um, so Baymax, uh, his whole design is to help people. And so he wants to help he Hero. And at about the same time, Hero finds one last microbot and it seems to be trying to move. And he says, well, it's supposed to seek out other microbots, but they were all destroyed in the fire. So that doesn't make any sense. And it's just confusing and it's bothering Hero. And Baymax, um, says, um, I've contacted your friends because they will help you to feel better. And also I can see you're stressed about this microbot. May I find where it's trying to go so that that will uh, you know, relieve your frustration and confusion. And Hero just says, fine, whatever. And then Baymax leaves. And then Hero realizes maybe that wasn't the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> and so he follows uh, Baymax and they find an abandoned factory, classic supervillain lair that is mass producing Hero's microbots. And a villain in a kabuki mask uses the microbots to attack Hero and Baymax, but they manage to escape with the help of Wasabi, Honey Lemon, Gogo, and Fred, who had just shown up because Baymax had called them. They go to Fred's mansion. Nobody knew Fred was rich. This is a surprise to everyone. <laughs> and in the Fred, rich person. Uh, Fred, you obviously see, is an avid comic book reader, so he explains what supervillains are and points out that Alistair Cray must be the supervillain behind the mask because it fits all of our classic beats of supervillain origins. And um, Hero realizes that this means Cray probably set the fire to cover up the theft of the microbots 
and that means that he killed Tadashi. So Hiro wants to get revenge, and he asks everyone to help, and they agree. So he suits everyone up in superhero costumes. They're all science geniuses. They're able to fashion these superhero costumes using their areas of expertise. And uh, so now they have costumes and powers and they follow the last microbot that he still had to find all the other microbots. And it, it leads them to an abandoned Cray Tech ta- uh, laboratory. And there they see um, this old kind of security video of a science experiment uh, going wrong. And it was an experiment with teleportation where they were throwing objects through one portal and it would immediately exit this other portal. And they actually sent a pilot in, but after she enters the one portal, the second one goes becomes unstable and explodes and she never exits uh, the portals. And they're watching this video and then the man in the kabuki mask appears behind them and he attacks them with his microbots. And during the fight, his mask is knocked off and we learn that this man is Professor Callahan. And enraged that Callahan left Tadashi to die, Hiro re- removes Baymax's medical assistant chip and inserts one that makes him just a, just a weapon. Um, he is now has no other purpose than to destroy. And uh, Baymax enters a kill mode. And Wasabi, Gogo, Honeylemon, and Fred try to stop Baymax from killing Callahan. They do not agree with uh, Hero's methods at this point. And Callahan manages to escape in all this chaos. And then Honeylemon puts the original chip back into Baymax. And Hero tries to remove that chip again, but Baymax stops him, saying it is not what Tadashi would have wanted. And Baymax shows Hero videos of Tadashi working with Baymax to ensure that his creation will help keep people safe. And Hero realizes he is in the wrong, and he apologizes to his friends and to Baymax but they do know that they still need to stop Callahan. So the group realizes that the pilot who flew into that portal and never came back out was Callahan's daughter. So this was revenge uh, that Cray, uh, against Cray that, that Callahan is trying to pull off. Um, and uh, Cray, in the video, it's clear that he knew there was something a little unstable at one of the portals, but he made them do the experiment anyway so that he could keep his military contracts. And now Cray is going to be at a big public ceremony. So you'll guess what happens next. Callahan attacks and he activates. Sorry. Sorry. I just had to do it. <laughs> I missed my chance when we found out that it was, that it, that it was Callahan and I was kicking myself. Oh, that was still so glorious. Uh, that was so delightful to have that happen. <laughs> so Callahan attacks. Uh, and he opens that one remaining portal. So there were two. One had blown up. The other one was still working. And he turns that on uh, as, to use as part of his means of destruction. It's starting to suck in at parts of the city. He's just trying to cause destruction everywhere. Eventually, though, Big Hero 6, so this team of Hero and Baymax and his friends, defeats Callahan. Uh, but before they turn off the portal, Baymax detects a human life in hypersleep inside of the portal and hero and baymax go through the portal to try and save callahan's daughter and inside this weird dimension so it's kind of like if you've seen dr strange or ant-man and the wasp <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the, the weird dimensions that marvel superheroes often enter uh it's, it's that kind of world uh they find abigail callahan's pod in there but baymax is damaged and he he cannot fly them back through the portal and so he asks hero if Hero is satisfied with the care he has received. And when Hero says yes, Baymax launches the rocket fist from his armor um, to push Hero and Abigail back through the portal, but this allows, makes Baymax drift backwards. I mean, it's um, Newton's and third has, law. You, you got to leave something yes. behind. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and as Hero and Abigail pass through the portal, the portal breaks and closes. Callahan is arrested. Abigail does wake up. And then later, later, Hero discovers inside that fist, that robot fist that uh, Baymax had launched to push them through the portal, he discovers the healthcare chip card that had been designed by Tadashi. And he uses that, uh, uses Tadashi's notes to rebuild Baymax and put that chip into it. And then Hero and his friends uh, will continue on their adventures as a superhero team. The end. And then... I guess at, after the credits, Stanley has his cameo. He is Fred's father who owned the gigantic mansion and he is secretly a superhero. Yeah. The uh, uh, super boss man or su- something like that is, is what his, oh, I, I, is. I never caught the name of what the character was supposed to be. It was just Fred discovered a secret superhero lair in the mansion. And then his father appears behind him and it's Stanley. Yeah. That's uh, that probably was from the TV show or yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's that. This is quite the movie to try to summarize. There's there's a lot going on in it. <laughs> uh, there is, and as I was writing the summary, I know this is not going to be a surprise to any longtime listeners, but I kept thinking, oh, the hero's journey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you know, at the beginning, you have hero and it's actually his brother who's the mentor who takes him into this threshold of this other world of science and you know all these experiments that are happening where he meets the fellowship that are going to join him you think the father figure is going to be professor callahan but later on you find out it's not um but you know one reason why this works so well is that it matches those beats of the hero's journey that we are accustomed to as audiences but it also does it in its own unique style and way. So, you know, it, it has that core that we want, but it also has all the window dressing that makes it different enough that it feels new and different, even as we can settle into the groove of the story that is very appealing. It seems to our human natures. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, there, there's a reason why the hero's journey is, can be found in so many of the popular stories out there. That, that's what people... it's like. It works. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I, I think they, I mean, I think it was obviously intentional in this because the way that they designed their character design was just too spot on for this to not be, not be, uh, planned out as well. Uh, you look at the, the ways that these characters are paired up and it's really funny because you get Gogo and Honey Lemon who are polar opposites from each other, Fred and Wasabi who are polar opposites from each other. And then you have Hero and Baymax, and they're, they're opposites as well. Baymax, like you said, is very measured and goes about things in a very methodical, uh, precise way, where Hero's, Hero's the kid who just goes and does it. I mean, he's, he's your stereotypical genius kid who's like, I, I know how to do this, I'll just do it. And Baymax has to have everything explained to him. It's, it's just kind of fun because with all those different extremes that they have there, you can all you can be like, oh, this friend is this person, and this friend is this person, and I am obviously hero because I'm the hero of the story. Uh, so <laughs> you definitely, definitely see that with the, and then the, with the journey they take and the mentorship from Tadashi. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is this and is the mentor the that has to leave, 
when you're in the new when you're in the new realm <laughs> um i like what you're saying about the pairing because i didn't really dig into each one of these characters so i get can we circle back to that and talk about where we're seeing these differences because i think you um nail something about why these character interactions work so well which at the beginning of my summary i said it has some really good animation for their action sequences but when i thought back on this movie i hadn't seen it for a couple of years um before reviewing it for tonight i knew every character like i remembered all the characters i did not remember all the plot or all the action beats um but the characters are really well defined and as you said they play off each other so well because they're at these different extremes so you already talked about hero and baymax and where we see some of those differences of um you know deliberateness versus kind of frantic energy and just go do it right away with hero um with wasabi and fred fred is the school mascot he's kind i okay he sounds a bit like shaggy like you could imagine him being <laughs> he's <stoner>. basically shaggy <laughs> yes um very laid back and obsessed with uh superheroes and not interested in science or really the real world at all um, or laundry and, and, or or anything <laughs> <laughs> what is his phrase about his underwear he wears he it uh, six days he wears it for six days before he i thought it was four days was it four? He can do, yeah, he can go, he can forwards, backwards, inside out, forwards, backwards. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and so that's him. So you got your classic kind of like uh, maybe stoner, but definitely slacker college kid version. And then Wasabi is super um, uptight. Uh, controlled yes like he when we first see him he we see his tray of tools and he has created an outline for every single tool where it's supposed to lay down in this flat tray so it will always go back into its spot every every single tool has a spot and needs to be in its spot or his world is misaligned and it will drive him insane and he is the one that kind of um whereas fred is like oh we will be superheroes this will be the greatest thing we're gonna live the dream and go be superheroes he's the one that kind of says guys this is a little insane <laughs> what yeah. we're doing i mean they're uh, they're being chased by a supervillain and he wants to stop at the red light <laughs> yeah well that's what the rules uh, are you can't break the, the rules I, you gotta stop at the red light it's a red light i can't go <laughs> mm-hmm. yes uh so they're really fun kind of contrast to have there and and i think of them in those pairs though i don't think they actually go on adventures as those pairs it's just that's because they're the pole opposites yeah they just have um, a dichotomy yeah that that i kind of pair them up naturally and then uh, how would you guys describe Honey Lemon and uh, Gogo? So I see Honey Lemon as like the eternal optimist. The glass is always half full. And uh, and Gogo is more of a glass is half empty. Uh, almost, She's almost the Eeyore of the group. She moves a little too quickly to be Eeyore. But mm-hmm. uh, she she's kind of a downer on a lot of things. But she 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 loves her. She loves going fast. I mean. So it couldn't necessarily couldn't quite be Eeyore that way. Yeah. And they for them, the the visual, I think, um, dichotomy that they have where it's it's the two female characters and Honey Lemon is the tallest character in the movie by a lot and and like very narrow. And Gogo is more squat. Um, and then like the the color palettes where Gogo is almost gothic color and Honey Lemon is all bright yellows and pinks. 
Yes, uh, like Go Go fe- or Honey Lemon feels more like uh, your your stereotypical girly girl, right? Mm-hmm. And she's going to be using a purse for you know carrying her crazy chemical concoctions that do amazing things. Like it's a cool power, but it's very deliberate that she's the one that's you know fashion conscious and carrying the purse, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. And and Go Go is um, athletic roller derby kind of. She's a sport, yeah, roller derby. That is it. That is the the right description for, yes. for her, I think. Uh, and uh, they, they all have, um, as far as like for the animation, they all get fun visual powers. Um, like, so, so Gogo gets these, uh, she uses electro, uh, when we first hear she's using electromagnets to ride a bike that has less friction because there's nothing rubbing. There's it's, no friction. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's just the wheel against the ground. That is your only friction. Uh, and, and she ends up attaching those to her, her, arms and legs so she uses the, the ones on her arms kind of like spinning blades but and she skates kind of like a, a roller derby girl she she skates on uh the blade they had to go use look at roller derby for reference oh absolutely <laughs> as soon as you said it it all clicked andrew <laughs> um and then uh so that's her kind of power set and and it's not just that she can go super fast so like they do fun things like she gets encased in a ball of micro robots and then she starts skating as fast as she can and, and like heats it up and like cuts the ball in half because she's, she spins so rapidly. So they I find think, really cool things to do with the powers. I think that's one of my favorite things about this movie is that it's really a celebration of science and technology. It is everything in here was grounded in, in the sheer, like this is actually possible. The, the uh, robots that hero built are based off of uh concepts and theories that people have about these robots the way that he 3d printed baymax's armor like that was real 3d printing on the screen i I remember noticing it because i had just gotten my first 3d printer when uh just before the random when you say your first 3d printer (laughs) (laughs) how many 3d printers are you on right now (laughs) well so i personally have one but i've i've consulted many people on on getting printers that I have access to. So, uh, <laughs> I, 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 you have access to many, but only own one. Many, yes. Um, one, one play, eh, I, I probably the easiest thing to say would be about a dozen, but that's, uh, it, it's more complicated than that. So it's not like I just have them all sitting in my workshop, but I right, mean, hey, hold on. Follow up question. Brandon, does a dozen feel like enough to you? <laughs> If they were all in one place, probably, but they're always coming out with newer and cooler and shinier. My, my, my current goal that I'm saving up my Amazon points for is a, is a laser cutter engraver. So, I mean, it, 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 I'm a nerd. Okay. I, 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 I hope, I hope that you relish the fact that I'm admitting this. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, uh, I, I wasn't sure if, uh, my first laser printer was referring to the fact that you had several or it was like your first time using a laser printer. No, uh, so, 3D printer. so personally, I own one, but at work, I've got uh, access to about a dozen of them. So, okay. yeah. Anyway, celebration of science. Yeah, that's that's really what it is, because all of these things are grounded, grounded in a little bit of uh reality. The uh, I think it was uh, Robert Baird who was the co-writer he this is a quote from his he says it has to be grounded in a believable world and that led to all the cool technology that the team has in the movie uh the movie does not or the movie does celebrate science and technology in a way that we really haven't done before 
So, I mean, that was their goal was to celebrate science and technology and they turned them into superheroes with it. How cool is that? <laughs> and I mean, obviously this is, you know, hyperbolic science and like turned up to 11, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know be, be, beyond reality, but it still has that kernel of like, Oh, I can see, you know, where this is coming from and you know, what the projection is like the way the micro robots move. I could see that you know, happening like it fits the you know things I've seen already and projections of where we, we could be going. Yes. Right? Yes. I like that. Cranking it up to 11. That's definitely what they did. <laughs> so sorry. Um, I, I, I interrupted him while we were talking about polar opposites with Gogo and her science. Oh yeah. I was, I was just trying to uh, mention like the way they're, you know, the, this is a story that you've said they're, they're rooting in science, but it is still this visual medium that they're using they're using film to do it and they they do very eye-catching things with each of these characters and then the character designs and also the power sets that they have because i mean okay in 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 some other superhero films there are some power sets that are not as visually dynamic so professor x has to lift two fingers to his forehead (laughs) and then we we assume he is doing something uh in this you've got gogo skating around in crazy ways and you see um Honey Lemon, she taps some buttons on the side of this uh, th- this carrier that she has. I mean, it looks like a purse, but she's making chemical concoctions that then she reaches in and grabs the balls that have these chemical concoctions and she'll throw them. And they do all sorts of really visually interesting different things, be it like exploding into a foam that hardens instantly or making an ice sheet that they all slip on, um, those sorts of things. And Wasabi has uh, these laser blade hands uh, that he's able to use that glow and give you a really cool visual element. And then Fred, he just wanted to be a fire-breathing lizard, so they built him a suit that can breathe fire, but <laughs> it has to look like a lizard because it's Fred. Um, so I thought that not only is there good thought a- into making it interesting character dynamics, but also, like, this is just really fascinating to look at, and it's always interesting to see these characters with all their different bright colors and their costumes and the way the powers work. They work very well on screen. I think part of the reason why it's interesting to look at is because it's not your stereotypical super suits. They are not, they, I mean, in some ways there are similarities, but they are not uh, based out of really very many super suits that I've seen. And honestly, they do a terrible job at hiding their identities because they've got the face <laughs> yeah. masks on, but they're trans or transparent. So you can see through them and see, just see their faces. Uh, I mean, they, it's a worse yeah. job than the glasses and uh, S-curl on the forehead for Superman. <laughs> yeah, I, um, Fred should have mentioned this. And of course, Fred is the one that has a costume that actually covers his face. So maybe he thought of it and just didn't think to mention it to everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is the one who understands the most about superheroes and supervillains. You'd think that he would share that bit of nugget of information, but he is also the slacker. So, Right, so he just he's just like, oh, mine covers my face. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't think past that step. Um, do you guys have a favorite character amongst this mix, this mix of, you know, these kind of eclectic, uh, you know, voices that we have on screen? Probably my favorite is, uh, is I, I'd probably go with, if we're not going with Hiro and Tadashi, you know, I mean, the whole brother relationship is another thing we could get into there, but uh, uh, probably Wasabi. Because just because of the sheer comedy that he adds to the 
adds to the entire team by him being so uptight about things. Uh, we, we, we joked when we saw this because Wasabi is my sister-in-law and, uh, <laughs> she doesn't like to drive on the freeway and she has to be very precise on things. We moved her recently, her, uh, we, we moved, we moved her recently and she had all of the, all of the boxes in a spreadsheet and she knew what was in every box and it was a color coded spreadsheet. And the problem only arised when the rest of us got to touch her system. And then she's like, I don't know where anything is and kind of uh, freaked out at that. So, I mean, she wasabi is my sister-in-law. And, it, it, and so there was a lot of humor from that. Uh, the scene where he was driving, being chased, it was like, I've been in that car before. <laughs> <laughs> um. And it's interesting to say that he adds so much comedy because I think if you asked people like who's the funny character, they'd probably say Fred because he's the broadest and most, um, you know, exaggeratedly comedic of all these. But I, I think I laugh more at Wasabi than than Fred, even though I, I'm, that's not a knock against Fred. It's just a different kind of comedy and that mix of, um, you know, being so straight laced in a chaotic situation and insisting that things have to be done in a certain way uh, when when everyone else wants something different. Um, while frustrating in real life, if you're ever in one of those situations, <laughs> can be very delightful for for comedy uh, and, and the way that these characters interact with each other. Uh, Andrew, do you have a favorite? Uh, Honey Lemon. I, I really enjoy just the positivity and, and the joy that she has for everything that they're doing and for the science like she seems the geekiest about the science aside from maybe hero right um i think the probably the, i'm it, not as interesting as a character but maybe the the most fun is baymax uh mm-hmm. just because his, <laughs> everything he does makes me kind of if not laugh out loud per se but just kind of smile when i see baymax being baymax but the one that i'm the most intrigued about and i'd want to know more about is gogo um, she just has, maybe it's the the visual aesthetic of the way she moves and, and you know, the skating and the, way, the things she does with her discs are are interesting. But I, I want to know why she is the way she is. Not that there's, uh, there's nothing wrong with why she the, the way she is, but just there's more for, from her. I got like snippets like, oh, that's interesting. Then like, oh, I understand everything that I'm seeing right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I think it's because the other ones are pretty much open books. I mean, with Hero, you understand his whole turmoil because they showed it to us. Uh, Wasabi, you you understand, oh, they need systems. Gogo, they don't really explain why why she She could drive a car like that. Yes. Or, I mean, it's kind of assumed that she's a daredevil because she's trying to make her bikes faster and but they don't they don't really explain a lot. And so I think I think that's just human nature to be like, I want to know more about this because they didn't tell me more about this. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. and there's definitely like a degree of rebellion obvious in Gogo, but you don't know what she's rebelling against. Like, is it a family dynamic? Is it something in her past? Is it something from when she was growing up? And like, I what know. is the family dynamic that she's rebelling against? That could be a lot of different possibilities. And and it, uh, it it's not overdone, but she definitely has the feminist streak where like, she'll tell people like woman up and do it, <laughs> you know? Um, and, and, but it's not like to the point where it's like grading or you feel like you're being preached to, uh, you know, with, with the feminism, but clearly she is there. And, and part of her character is feminist. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, as much as Disney can without angering lots of people, 
I mean, that's kind of Disney's <laughs> thing is they, they want to send subtle messages and some people say they send a lot more subtle messages than they do. But I mean, Disney, Disney wants to reflect the world without offending people. And I think that's, that's part of their money-making strategy that you talked about. They, you know, they know how to make money. Okay. I, I was going to say one thing that's interesting to me about Baymax is I couldn't get the iron giant out of my head. Oh, I was going to mention the Iron Giant um, at some point because especially the finale is very Iron Giant. Right. So, uh, Andrew, for listeners who maybe haven't (laughs) seen Iron Giant recently or have never seen it, could you give like a quick recap of what you mean when you say it becomes very Iron Giant-y? I mean, the the biggest thing is is sacrifice. It's a robot sacrificing themselves for a child. I'd say is is kind of the number one parallel in the finale. Coupled with the resurrection. Yeah, with the hope of of resurrection and also just, you know, the concept of and and this is in this way, it's it's very different from the Iron Giant. But like, what is the purpose of this robot? Because um, the Iron Giant has, you know, weaponization is evidently a purpose of him, whereas Baymax is not. But Hero weaponized him. And so you do have some some contrasting um elements but the the final parallel where it's like i'm gonna sacrifice myself to take care of you you go take care of everyone else and and be good yes i I mean both baymax and iron giant you get christ figures (laughs) um (laughs) in terms of sacrifice uh and you know the the savior aspect to you know sacrifice to save others and then also the immediate um, hints at resurrection or um, for both of them, uh, you know, the code of the film is basically resurrection of this character that died to, to save the other characters earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned uh, like, so iron giant in that film, we find out that this giant robot that is, has befriended a child was built to be a weapon, but because of his friendship with the child, he becomes, he chooses peace. Like he chooses mm-hmm. to not be a weapon. He does not want to be a gun. Um, yeah, and I think maybe that's the strongest thing is that the robots are choosing, you know, the, they develop agency and they choose to sacrifice. Yes, that's what I was going to say. And this one, obviously, Baymax is designed for nurture, right? <laughs> you know, uh, and care. And then uh, Hero, in, in anger, tries to turn him into a weapon and succeeds briefly. But then... Baymax makes the choice. You will not turn me into a weapon again. He, he won't let it happen. Well, and there's also mm-hmm. a, a layer to this where in both Iron Giant and Big Hero 6, the, both of these robots know absolutely nothing about what it is to be alive, really. They don't understand why they should do things. They both have core bits of their programming that they that they understand certain things. But you have to explain everything to Baymax and you had to explain everything to the Iron Giant. And so by the time that the, you know, by the time that they get to the point where they're making the decision, Hero's not explaining to Baymax, this is why you have to sacrifice yourself. Baymax Hmm. has learned the lessons enough from Hero to say, I'm going to sacrifice myself. This is my choice. You're not telling me to do that. This is the culmination of me learning what it is to be a person. And that's part of what makes it so impactful and so powerful. Yeah. Um, so like the, the two major character arcs where we see the transformation in the film are uh, hero and, and Baymax. And as you said, like for, for Baymax it's coming from almost tabula rasa. Um, but then 
choosing the better path, uh, you know, mm-hmm. choosing, choosing these things. And with um, hero starts off as a punk kid doing stuff. He shouldn't be doing, getting in trouble with the police inspired by his brother to become better. His brother dies. He kind of becomes uh, obsessed with revenge uh, for a little bit, but then uh, because of the friendship that he has, he realized, and, and Baymax's example, he realizes that his thirst for revenge wasn't the right motivation but he still needs to be a hero. <laughs> you know, he's, he still needs to go out and do what he's doing. He just needs to do it for the right way and then uh, for the right reason and in the right way. And I think the way that they are having hero demonstrate his, um, his development and his growth is the fact that he is dealing with um, the same scenario twice. He deals with Tadashi's death and he deals with Baymax's death. And in one of them, it becomes a revenge mission. And in one of them, it becomes a, you know, well, I can follow, you know, I can, I can honor his example and his sacrifice. And I do have the chance to do something good. Yeah. So this whole, oh, I like that. I never noticed that before. This whole movie is, well spotted, Andrew. is a story about brothers, uh, a story about family, really, but brothers in particular. And they, you know, it's about Tadashi being the big brother to Hiro and Hiro being the little brother that has to have everything explained to him. And then when Tadashi dies, Hero starts growing into that big brother role with Baymax, where he's explaining everything to Baymax. And you and that's mm-hmm. and that's where the growth comes from. Hero is no longer the little brother, he's the big brother. Um and they really when they were writing the story, Mark Smith, who's the story lead, he was talking about the the iconic fist bump. And they were talking about, you know, we we have to do something. And he, he, they threw out the idea to do some kind of handshake. Uh, and mm-hmm. they, you know, they were sitting on the sidelines, the story leads, and they were just, okay, my kids showed me this handshake. You know, they did like a Turkey where one person did a fist bump and the other person did a high five out of mistake. And, you know, they were doing a bunch of goofy handshakes and they, they realized, you know what? Kids all have like secret handshakes. You know, Joe, you're always posting about funny things that your kids are doing. I'm sure you've seen them do something and brothers and siblings, they can communicate more with a simple uh, high five, handshake, fist bump, than you can with an entire uh, conversation of words, and so that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to show: is this relationship is not just a boy and his robot. This relationship is a mm-hmm. boy and his brother. Yeah, and ultimately, the last thing that Baymax does in his sacrifice is is based in his fist. It's the fist bump. You know, that's his final action to save Hero. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a thing, it's a thing about, it's a story about brothers at the core. Um, I mean, the, uh, the fist bump is iconic. Another thing about this is that it's tied to the Japanese culture because the comic originally took place in Tokyo. And so that's where they decided to bring in a lot of the Japanese culture. But, uh, it's, it's really kind of funny. The, the difference between in Japanese, the difference between, uh, brother and demon is basically the length of a syllable. Uh, you know, so Oni, Oni-san and uh, on, Oni-san. Uh, I, I probably butchered that, but it's it, it, it's that relationship. It's a complicated relationship. You don't always get along, but you do get along. And I I don't know how we're gonna how how that all fits in, but I just I just love the fact that that the the brother relationships are so prominent. And then you know the the extended family. You've got the You've got the big hero six, the rest of big hero six reaching out to hero after Tadashi's death and, you know, concerned mm-hmm. about him. It's, 
And then obviously there it's a there he's another Disney orphan because he's living with his aunt. Parents aren't around. Or Marvel orphan. There's a lot of those. Yes, too. yes, there are. <laughs> yeah. So um, I was gonna say with the brother relationship, one of my favorite like establishing uh aspects of where like, okay, I know who these characters are, is right at the beginning when Hero is about to get beat up by these people he hustled. And his brother comes in on the motorcycle, grabs him, and it's not a motorcycle, off. Joseph. It's a scooter. Oh, a scooter. <laughs> Sorry, yes. it's just a scooter. A just a scooter. He's, he's not just... even that that intense of a big brother. He's he's a scooter, cardigan wearing, <laughs> uh, it's class attending. Yeah, <laughs> but but still uh, a protective older brother. Yeah, but he says, "Are you okay?" Several times, and when Hero finally says, "Yes, I'm okay," then he starts lecturing him. Like, <laughs> and and for me, that immediately like, oh, this is a family relationship. Like, I don't know how many times I've had to have that with with my kids, where like there's a big crash in the house, and you go, "Are you all right?" And once they like the, the, sh- the surprise wears off, they say, "Yeah, I'm fine." And it's like, "What were you doing?" <laughs> like, <what? laughs> now you're in trouble. <laughs> if you had been bleeding, we would have saved it for later. But you're not, so it's now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and that just rang very true. And there's like also when he does the, um, well, I can't stop you from going to the robot fights, but I can take, you know, I can be there to keep you safe. Like that feels true. And then when he doesn't really take him to the robot fights, that felt very true. (laughs) (laughs) You knew all the right buttons to push. That's definitely a brother thing. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. And and also, um, like he's tried to lecture him into going to the college. And it hasn't worked. So fine, I'm going to show you and you're going to want this for yourself. It's not because I'm telling you you want this. This is how I'm going to make you be inspired and motivated. One of my favorite mm-hmm. lines in there is like, I don't want to go to your nerd school. And then but at, the, at the next scene, I have to go to this nerd school. And it's like, or I'll, like, he's very dramatic about it. I can't remember what the or is, but like, there's consequences if he can't. Yes. Make it. His life is now defined by the need to attend this school, which it I mean, you said this is all science based, but th- that introduction to the nerd school where you see what everyone is doing and there's all this stuff going on in the background. It felt like Hogwarts <laughs> or like Xavier's mm-hmm. Academy <laughs> where it's like, ooh, oh, what? Mm, this is. Hmm. I really want to go to the to somewhere like that. Well, there's the quote from Arthur C. Clarke about magic, talking about how uh, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I mean, at, mm-hmm. at that point, cranking it up to eleven—that's that's what you had right there. Is you had a magic school. Yes, I mean, it, it reminded me both of like you know the film introductions to Hogwarts, but also I think it's in the in the first X Men movie when. Uh, Wolverine is there and there's this montage of like the only time that you actually see children in an X-Men movie. There's the montage <laughs> of of the kids using their powers to do stuff that kids would be doing with powers at that age at a school when, mm-hmm. you know, it's a boarding school full of those. And again, that's like the only time you get that sense of uh, Xavier school for gifted youngsters being an actual school. Uh, but I also had that kind of sense of wonder about like, Oh, the doors open to this lab and there's all this crazy stuff happening. They're throwing apples through lasers and the apples are coming out wafer thin. Um, and, and it, it did, you understood hero's inspiration in that moment. So was that the call to action or was the call to action later? Uh, I mean, so, I mean, there's I, usually a, an, an initial call and a refusal and a process for the call. I mean, I, I get the sense that, yeah, he's he's had the call where his brother keeps telling him and he's refused it. This is also crossing the threshold, right? That's true. Is, yeah. 
uh, he's entering he's entering this different world uh, and meeting his his future fellowship. I mean, the call to action, I'd say, actually, is Baymax reinflating after his brother dies. That's which, which yeah, uh, like when the when the robots moving. Yeah, yeah, that's the mm-hmm. butterfly yes. that's taking him off the cliff. Yeah, um, and I mean, famously, one of the criticisms of uh, of Joseph Campbell and the Hero's Journey <laughs> is that he said, well you're going to see all these elements, but they might not happen in this order. <laughs> and in this case, we kind of cross the threshold, get the fellowship before there's the real call to action. And even he has his mentor who takes him across the threshold and then the mentor dies. Usually that's happening after they're fully ensconced in the, in the new world. And there's like no going back. Mm-hmm. Um, so they did change that up some, uh, but I, you still feel all those beats from the hero's journey. Yeah. He just doesn't engage with them. I mean, they are presented and it, the order that he engages with them is a little different. Mm-hmm. Did you have something else in mind for call to action? I'm, now I'm like thinking through like, well, it could be that. Well, I mean, thing. there's there's a bunch of different times. I mean, how how often does Fred call them to action to say we got to go be superheroes now? So, mm-hmm. I mean, it, I, I'm just curious because this is one of those stories that it's like, OK, there's definitely the hero's journey in there. You, you can see the whole progression. But what journey is he on going to college or being the superhero or being or is his journey to become a well-adjusted? No, I'm not going to say adult because he's not. He's still a kid. by the Teenager. End. Yeah. I mean, a well-adjusted teenager getting over the grief or more mature. Huh? Right. So, I mean, yeah. it all depends on, I guess, what his journey is and which journey you take as his main as his main journey. Yeah, that, that definitely kind of colors where you have to map out the. The points. Just something about the way you get like his transformation, it it triggered something. Maybe I I probably should have caught, and maybe some many other listeners have already caught, and are just waiting for us to acknowledge the the parallel between Hero and Callahan, um, the, in how they deal with with grief. That the moment when Hero turns Baymax into a weapon, that is like he has become what Callahan is with the Kabuki mask and his plans mm-hmm. uh, for turn, turn technology into a weapon of my revenge. Yes, and at that moment, they're actually more similar than not. They just happen to be going against each other. <laughs> um, but, but they've basically become the same person. And then it is Baymax and the other ex- extended family that pull Hero back from that moment and allow him to, to mature, you know, and, and uh, you know, move on to a, d- a different stage and a different motivation that Callahan had gotten stuck at. Yeah, and all those same people were available to Callahan um, to help him recover. He just hadn't engaged with them in that way. So like when Brandon said, this is a movie all about brothers. I agree. It's also a movie all about grief. Yes. <laughs> and what? Yeah. A lot about grief. What grief can do. Huh? I'm, I'm just thinking, cause I mean, it, 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 it's a, it's, it's a superhero story. And my core belief is that superhero stories are, uh, modern day parables and fairy tales. And, morality tales yeah morality tales where it's you know it's so i mean this this story right here is going to give a young person a blueprint on how to deal with their grief they're not going to be thrown into the same fantastical situation but they can say oh you know when hero was dealing with his grief he needed his support network his support network was what got him through it and Callahan mm-hmm. didn't have a strong support network and or didn't engage or didn't with engage it. with it. Yeah, right. And 
I mean, Hero doesn't do very well when he isolates, and Callahan doesn't do well when he isolates. Right. And so you make sure that you those those connections, those human connections, are what are going to help you learn and grow. And so I, I and it's even. I was going to say it's it's said explicitly by Baymax when he reinflates and he sees Hero's hurting and Hero says, "Well, it's not physical pain; it's something else." And Hero and Baymax says, "I'm downloading all this information about how to deal with human loss. You need hugs and you need support. I'm emailing your friends." <laughs> uh, like like it's said very yeah. explicitly, and we all laugh at it because it's it's Baymax doing it in the Baymax voice because it's because it's and speaking. it's it almost seems trite to say it like yeah. that, but it's like. But like that is what well, he and it is the naivety of it the, all where Baymax doesn't know that, oh, maybe I should respect his wishes to spend some time alone. No, and Baymax is like, this is what you need. I'm just I'm just doing it because that's what you need. And that's how we, how we fix this. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, that's huh. Well, this 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 movie just took a turn. <laughs> <laughs> I got, yeah, I got a little bit deeper through this conversation. <laughs> Well, oh, and Brandon, what you're saying, uh, I mean, this circles back to, I know we've mentioned this probably at least a dozen times, because it goes back to one of our very earliest episodes of the Protagonist podcast, when Todd and I were talking about um, the Graveyard book, and I found this quote from Neil Gaiman, where he said, children need scary stories for emotional inoculation. It's like stories should introduce emotionally the pain that they're going to find later on in life so that they're better equipped to fight it off or to deal with it or to or to navigate it when they experience fear or trauma or loss or sadness if they encounter those emotions first through the safety of stories where they themselves are still safe but they're going to feel versions of that pain that is going to come later in life they're better equipped to handle it Mm -hmm. and i think this movie in some ways it it has a more effective representation of that with tadashi's death because he's the mentor figure but he's so much younger and closer to the hero like when gandalf or dumbledore dies I mean, they're old. They're going to die. It's it's part of the program. But when Tadashi does, it's like, well, Tadashi's only like five years older than Hero. Like, he's really close. And so you don't expect it, and you see it, and you have to, I mean, they deal with it like as a fiery explosion, so you really have to confront it. Um, and it's really impactful, because it's also really early in the story. And the, the only relationship we've been shown at that point is really uh, Tadashi and Hero. There's mm-hmm. been like implicit through a montage that hero has become friends with all these other people, but we haven't seen it yet. And we haven't felt that those connections are earned the way that Tadashi's and heroes uh, relationship is established and earned for the audience from their very first exchange of words. Yeah. And, and so they really kind of ramp it up quickly and say, okay, now he's gone. And this movie's about dealing with that. You know, as much as it's about the hero's journey and, and everything, part of that is just dealing with that grief. So I think it really effectively does what you're talking about with, with the Neil Gaiman quote to, uh, to, to bring that more to a more personal level with that Neil Gaiman quote. Um, my kids and I, and I've, I've, I may have shared this story on the podcast before, but I, I hope not. Uh, my kids and I, one year we were, there was a doctor who marathon on while my wife was gone. And so I had full reign of the living room TV to watch doctor who <laughs> And uh, so that was on while we were doing everything that day and my kids were watching it and scary parts would come up and I, I, I would, I'd say, don't worry, don't worry. The good guys always win. The doctor always wins. And they, Oh, okay. And so scary parts would come up and my kid would be like, Oh, that's okay. The doctor always wins. And then we were watching the Pandorica episode uh, where he gets locked into a box and it's a two-parter 
and so at the end of the episode, the doctor loses and my son <laughs> lost his mind. I'm like, it's okay. The good guy always wins. And then luckily the next episode came up and it shows the doctor escaping from the Pandorica essentially. And the, and so my son is able to be, was able to say, oh, even when it looks like they're not going to win, the good guy wins. And there's a, there's a C.S. Lewis quote where he, he talks about fairy tales and I wish I had that on hand, but he talks about how fairy tales are good for kids because it gives them that hope. It lets them know that bad things are out there, but it gives them the hope that they will be defeated. That's actually Neil Gaiman falsely attributed that to oh, C.S. Okay. Lewis. All right. That's, that's where I got that. <laughs> but I, I, know, I know the quote you're talking about. It's in the, I think the front of um, Coraline and yeah, it, Neil Gaiman attributed that to C.S. Lewis, but he's like, I thought it was C.S. Lewis. <laughs> Nobody checked it for me. They just put it in the front of my book when I said, I think this is a C.S. Lewis That's quote. the problem when you get too too big <laughs> for people to tell you no. I'm not telling Neil Gaiman he's wrong. Yeah, no editor was going to say, it's like, we should double check Neil Gaiman's source on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, an editor should have. <laughs> um, I mean, even as... I mean, we're talking about this with Big Hero 6 and, and with fairy tales and Doctor Who, but even something as simple as Scooby-Doo, which people always make fun of, like, Scooby-Doo, like, oh, you know, the big reveal at the end that it was just some person trying to scare everyone and, and, and you know, they would have gone away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. I I think that's kind of valuable for kids for facing their fears to say, there, this is scary, but if I face it, maybe it's going to become more normal, you know, less scary. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and and it, yes, and the scariest thing aren't monsters. It's always people. It's old white men <laughs> trying to get greedy, what they want. Greedy old white men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and so I, I, I think sometimes we underrate that aspect of children's entertainment. That yeah, it's not for us as grownups, but it's not supposed to be, and it's serving a different function for young, developing emotional, uh, you know, maturity of kids. You don't get a you don't get a measles vaccine when you're fifty. Because you already had it when you were eight or whenever you did that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Any final thoughts on Big Hero 6? Nope. Um, my last thought doesn't have to be a discussion, but one thing that I've always found interesting about this is the whole San Francisco. It's a basically a Japanese alternate history. And this is the only one that I could think of in all the literature that I know where it's not because uh, Japan and... Uh, Nazi Germany won World War II, but it's a, actually a. It's just this is a place where it's an amalgam city. Yes, yeah, it's it's, it's just how it happened, uh, because it's Disney and there you have long backstories and lore. They do have a history for it. Uh, it has it has to do with a 1906 earthquake and things happened. I'll give I'll give you guys a link to put in the show notes if anyone is interested in, to okay. see how the San Francisco came came to be but i just found it really interesting and as a japanese american i appreciate that the japanese weren't just used as bad guys winning world war ii for this alternate history it's just hey here's some cool stuff and some cool japanese imagery yeah it's it's always nice when when storytellers can avoid the yellow peril stereotype that really plagued a lot of american pop culture from world war ii for several decades on um and really embedded a lot of negative stereotypes. Uh, and I, like you said, this one kind of neatly dodges what I think if the story, you know, someone had been telling the story in the 1970s, we probably would have been engaged in some stereotypes that, that it's best we leave behind. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, and they and you know they didn't uh, they also didn't take the easy way out of saying, well, we're just going to set it in San Francisco and call it good. So they mm-hmm. they did pay homage to the source well, it, material. And immediately when the screen opens and it says San Francisco, it's just like okay, well this is different. <laughs> like you just have prepped the audience. Yes, and and, just, they, and they didn't explain no, it at we're, all. We're in a different world. Nope, you're just you're just in there. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows. You can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English of the Fandom Podcast, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. What what were you going to say there, Brandon? I know that guy. Yes. Uh, And are you familiar with the Fandom Podcast? Only a little bit. Uh, I've only Uh, listened to the first 195 episodes. uh, You've probably listened to them multiple times as you recorded them (laughs) and then edited them. Unfortunately. Released them. (laughs) Um, If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 161 when we had Brandon on to come talk about Kubo and the two strings. You can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or also on Twitter. You can follow Protagonist Pod or Jay Dorowski and our producer Andrew is uh, Dizminute on Twitter. And Brandon, what is your, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, best place to interact with me is head over to facebook.com slash group slash the Fandomaniacs. That's our, that's our podcast group page. That's probably where I spend a lot of my time talking about geek stuff. So um, or fandompodcast.com is the podcast. There's a contact form there if you want to reach out. For any listeners who are unfamiliar, though I can't imagine at this point if they're regular listeners of the protagonist podcast, they are. But if you were going to pitch the fandom podcast in 30 seconds, what what is your podcast? About? Oh, we are a safe for work uh, geek show that talk. We spend the time talking about the things that we enjoy. We don't spend time tearing down the the things that we don't like. There's not enough time in the day to focus on things you don't like. So we we're just a fun. Well, uh, yeah, we're just a fun, positive fandom based show. Uh, talk a little about news and then have occasional discussions. And uh, I do enjoy uh, your your news updates help me to stay up to date on stuff that I mean, I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but there's a lot of entertainment out there. Just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, there's a lot of news about entertainment. So it's not just that there's so much entertainment to consume. It's that there's so much, you know, future entertainment that's getting talked about. And uh, your news recap show helps me to stay on top of things. So I do appreciate that one. Oh, I'm glad but, that works. There's so much out there. We try to distill it down to about four stories a week of the of the news that's out there because it's easy to get lost in the flood of all of the headlines. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast. We have really good conversations there with our listeners and would love for you to say hello anytime. If you would like to support the show financially, you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation for the monetary donation by going to patreon.com slash protagonist. Thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. Farewell. Sorry, that was my that was my phone. Okay, it sounded like an internet like something was going wrong with the feeds. So I was panicked for a moment there. I don't know if you know this, Brandon, but sometimes people disappear from podcasts <laughs> <laughs> mid recording. I'm here. I promise. I'm here.